0: chapter six part two of run to earth a novel by mary elizabeth Braddon. this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by gail mattern chapter six part two old robin gray on the twenty-eighth of july reginald eversleigh presented himself at raynham castle he had thought never more to set foot upon that broad terrace never more to pass beneath the shadow of that grand old archway, and a sense of triumph thrilled through his veins, as he stood once again on the familiar threshold. And yet his position in life was terribly changed, since he had last stood there. He was no longer the acknowledged heir to whom all dependents paid deferential homage. He fancied that the old servants looked at him coldly, and that their greeting was the chilling welcome which is accorded to a poor relation. He had never done much to win affection or gratitude in the days of his prosperity. It may be that he remembered this now and regretted it, not from any kindly impulse towards these people, but from a selfish annoyance at the chilling reception accorded him. If I ever win back what I have lost, these pampered parasites shall suffer for their insolence thought the young man as he walked across the broad, gothic hall of the castle, escorted by the grave old butler. But he had not much leisure to think about his uncle's servants. Another and far more important person occupied his mind, and that person was his uncle's bride. Lady Eversleigh is at home? he asked while crossing the hall. Yes, sir. Her ladyship is in the long drawing-room. The butler opened a ponderous oaken door and ushered Reginald into one of the finest apartments in the castle. In the centre of this room, by the side of a grand piano from which she had just risen, stood the new mistress of the castle. She was simply dressed in pale grey silk, relieved only by a scarlet ribbon twisted in the masses of her raven hair. Her beauty had the same effect upon Reginald Eversleigh. "'which it exercised on almost all who looked at her for the first time. "'He was dazzled, bewildered, by the singular loveliness. "'And this divinity, this goddess of grace and beauty, "'is my uncle's wife,' he thought. "'This is the street-ballad-singer, whom he picked up out of the gutter.' "'For some moments the elegant and accomplished Reginald Eversleigh "'stood abashed before the calm presence of the nameless girl his uncle had married.' sir oswald welcomed his nephew with perfect cordiality he was happy and in the hour of his happiness he could cherish no unkind feeling towards the adopted son who had once been so dear to him but while ready to open his arms to the repentant prodigal his intentions with regard to the disposition of his wealth had undergone no change he had arrived calmly and deliberately at a certain resolve and he intended to adhere to that decision The baronet told his nephew this frankly in the first confidential conversation which they had after the young man's arrival at Rainham. "'You may think me harsh and severe,' he said gravely, "'but the resolution which I announced to you in Arlington Street cost me much thought and care. I believe that I have acted for the best. I think that my overindulgence was the bane of your youth, Reginald, and that you would have been a better man had you been more roughly reared.' Since you have left the army, I have heard no more of your follies, and I trust that you have at last struck out a better path for yourself and separated yourself from all dangerous associates. But you must choose a new profession. You must not live an idle life on the small income which you receive from me. I only intended that annuity as a safeguard against poverty, not as a sufficient means of life. You must select a new career, Reginald, and whatever it may be, I will give you some help to smooth your pathway. Your first cousin, Douglas Dale, is studying for the law. Would not that profession suit you? I am in your hands, sir, and am ready to obey you in everything. Well, think over what I have said, and if you choose to enter yourself as a student in the temple, I will assist you with all necessary funds. My dear uncle, you are too good. "'I wish to serve you as far as I can with justice to others. "'And now, Reginald, we will speak no more of the past. "'What do you think of my wife?' "'She is the most beautiful creature I ever beheld.' "'And she is as good and true as she is beautiful. "'A pearl of price, Reginald. "'I thank Providence for giving me so great a treasure. "'And this treasure will be possessor of Raynham Castle, I suppose.' "'thought the young man savagely. "'Sir Oswald spoke presently, "'almost as if in answer to his nephew's thoughts. "'As I have been thoroughly candid with you, Reginald,' he said, "'I may as well tell you even more. "'I am at an age which some call the prime of life, "'and I feel all my old vigour. "'But death sometimes comes suddenly to men "'whose life seems as full of promise as mine seems to me now. "'I wish that when I die... "'There may be no possible disappointment as to the disposal of my fortune. "'Other men make a mystery of the contents of their wills. "'I wish the terms of my will to be known by all interested in it.' "'I have no desire to be enlightened, sir,' murmured Reginald, "'who felt that his uncle's words boded no good to himself. "'My will has been made since my marriage,' continued Sir Oswald, "'without noticing his nephew's interruption.' Any previous will would indeed have been invalidated by that event. Two-thirds, more than two-thirds of my property, has been left to my wife, who will be a very rich woman when I am dead and gone. Should she have a son, the landed estates will, of course, go to him. But in any case, Lady Eversleigh will be mistress of a large fortune. I leave five thousand a year to each of my nephews. As for you, Reginald, you will perhaps consider yourself bitterly wronged, but you must, in justice, remember that you have been your own enemy. The annuity of two hundred a year, which you now possess, will, after my death, become an income of five hundred a year, derived from a small estate called Morton Grange in Lincolnshire. You have nothing more than a modest competency to hope for, therefore, and it rests with yourself to win wealth and distinction by the exercise of your own talents." The pallor of Reginald Eversleigh's face alone revealed the passion which consumed him, as he received these most unwelcome statements from his uncle's lips. Fortunately for the young man, Sir Oswald did not observe his countenance, for at this moment Lady Eversleigh appeared on the terrace-walk outside the open window of her husband's study, and he hurried to her. "'What are to be our plans for this afternoon, darling?' he asked." I have transacted all my business and am quite at your service for the rest of the day. Very well. Then you cannot please me better than by showing me some more of the beauties of your native county. You make that proposition because you know it pleases me, artful puss, but I obey. Shall we ride or drive? Perhaps as the afternoon is hot, we had better take the barouche, continued Sir Oswald, while Honoria hesitated. Come to luncheon i will give all necessary orders they went to the dining room where the reginald accompanied them already he had contrived to banish the traces of emotion from his countenance but his uncle's words were still ringing in his ears five hundred a year he was to receive a pitiful five hundred a year whilst his cousins struggling men of the world unaccustomed to luxury and splendor "'were each to have an income of five thousand. "'And this woman, this base, unknown, friendless creature, "'who had nothing but her diabolical beauty to recommend her, "'was to have a splendid fortune.' "'These were the thoughts which tormented Reginald Eversleigh "'as he took his place at the luncheon-table. "'He had been now a fortnight at Raynham Castle, "'and had become, to all outward appearance, "'perfectly at his ease with the fair young mistress of the mansion.' there are some women who seem fitted to occupy any station however lofty they need no teaching they are in no way bewildered by the novelty of wealth or splendour they make no errors they possess an instinctive tact which all the teaching possible cannot always impart to others they glide naturally into their position and looking on them in their calm dignity their unsteadied grace It is difficult to believe they have not been born in the purple. Such a woman was Honoria, Lady Eversleigh. The novelty of her position gave her no embarrassment. The splendor around her charmed and delighted her sense of the beautiful, but it caused her no bewilderment. It did not dazzle her unaccustomed eyes she received her husband's nephew with the friendly yet dignified bearing which it was fitting sir oswald's wife should display towards his kinsman and the scrutinizing eyes of the young man sought in vain to detect some secret hidden beneath that placid and patrician exterior the woman is a mystery he thought one would think she was some princess in disguise does she really love my uncle i wonder she acts her part well if it is a false one But then, who would not act a part for such a prize as she is likely to win? I wish Victor were here. He, perhaps, might be able to penetrate the secret of her existence. She is a hypocrite, no doubt, and an accomplished one. I would give a great deal for the power to strip the veil from her beautiful face and show my lady in her true colors. Such bitter thoughts as these continually harass the ambitious and disappointed man, And yet he was able to bear himself with studied courtesy toward Lady Eversleigh. The best people in the county had come to Raynham to pay their homage to Sir Oswald's bride. Nothing could exceed her husband's pride, as he beheld her courted and admired. No shadow of jealousy obscured his pleasure when he saw younger men flock round her to worship and admire. He felt secure of her love, for she had again and again assured him THAT HER HEART HAD BEEN ENTIRELY HIS, EVEN BEFORE HE DECLARED HIMSELF TO HER. HE FELT AN IMPLICIT FAITH IN HER PURITY AND INNOCENCE. SUCH A MAN AS OSWALD EVERSLEY IS NOT EASILY MOVED TO JEALOUSY, BUT WITH SUCH A MAN, ONE BREATH OF SUSPICION, ONE WORD OF SLANDER, AGAINST THE CREATURE HE LOVES, IS HORRIBLE AS THE AGONY OF DEATH. REGINALD EVERSLEY HAD SHARED IN ALL THE PLEASURES AND AMUSEMENTS OF SIR OSWALD AND HIS WIFE. They had gone nowhere without him since his arrival at the castle, for at present he was the only visitor staying in the house, and the baronet was too courteous to leave him alone. "'After the twelfth we shall have plenty of bachelor visitors,' said Sir Oswald, "'and you will find the old place more to your taste, I dare say, Reginald. "'In the meantime you must content yourself with our society.' "'I am more than contented, my dear uncle.' and do not sigh for the arrival of your bachelor friends, though I dare say I shall on very well with them when they do come. I expect a bevy of pretty girls as well. Do you remember Lydia Graham, the sister of Gordon Graham, of the Fusiliers? Yes, I remember her perfectly. I think there used to be something like a flirtation between you and her. Sir Oswald and Lady Eversleigh seated themselves in the barouche, reginald rode by their side on a thoroughbred hack out of the raynham stables the scenery within twenty miles of the castle was varied in character and rich in beauty in the purple distance to the west of the castle there was a range of heather-clad hills and between those hills in the village of raynham there flowed a noble river crossed at intervals by quaint old bridges and bordered by little villages nestling amid green pastures the calm beauty of a rustic landscape and the grandeur of wilder scenery were alike within reach of the explorer from the castle on this bright august afternoon sir oswald had chosen for the special object of their drive the summit of a wooded hill whence a superb range of country was to be seen this hill was called thorpe peak and was about seven miles from the castle the barouche stopped at the foot of the hill The baronet and his wife alighted and walked up a woody pathway leading to the summit, accompanied by Reginald, who left his horse with the servants. They ascended the hill slowly, Lady Eversleigh leaning upon her husband's arm. The pathway wound upward, through plantations of fir, and it was only on the summit that the open country burst on the view of the pedestrian. On the summit they found a gentleman seated on the trunk of a fallen tree, sketching A light, portable colour-box lay open by his side, and a small portfolio rested on his knees. He seemed completely absorbed in his occupation, for he did not raise his eyes from his work, as Sir Oswald and his companions approached. He wore a loose travelling dress, which, in its picturesque carelessness of style, was not without elegance. A horse was grazing under a group of firs near at hand, "'fastened to one of the trees by the bridle. "'The traveller was Victor Carrington. "'Carrington!' exclaimed Mr. Eversleigh. Who ever would have thought of finding you up here? "'Sketching, too!' "'The surgeon lifted his head suddenly, "'looked at his friend, and burst out laughing "'as he rose to shake hands. "'He looked handsomer in his artistic costume "'than ever Reginald Eversleigh had seen him look before. "'The loose velvet coat, "'The wide linen collar and neckerchief of dark blue silk "'set off the slim figure and pale foreign face. "'You are surprised to see me, "'but I have still more right to be surprised at seeing you. "'What brings you here?' "'I am staying with my uncle, Sir Oswald Eversleigh, "'at Raynham Castle. "'Ah, to be sure, "'that superb place within four miles of the village of Abbey Wood, "'where I have taken up my quarters.' The baronet and his wife had been standing at a little distance from the two young men, but Sir Oswald advanced, with Honoria still upon his arm. "'Introduce me to your friend, Reginald,' he said in his most cordial manner. Reginald obeyed, and Victor was presented to Sir Oswald and his wife. His easy and graceful bearing was calculated to make an agreeable impression at the outset and sir oswald was evidently pleased with the appearance and manners of his nephew's friend you are an artist i see mr carrington he said after glancing at the young man's sketch which even in its unfinished state was no contemptible performance an amateur only sir oswald answered victor i am by profession a surgeon but as yet i have not practised i find independence so agreeable "'that I can scarcely bring myself to resign it. "'I have been wandering about this delightful county "'for the last week or two, "'with my sketchbook under my arm, "'halting for a day or two in any picturesque spot I came upon, "'and hiring a horse whenever I could get a decent animal. "'It is a very simple mode of enjoying a holiday, "'but it suits me. "'Your taste does you credit. "'But if you are in my neighbourhood, "'you must take your horses from the Raynham stables.' "'Where are your present quarters?' "'At the Little Inn by Abbeywood Bridge. four miles from the castle. "'We are near neighbours, Mr. Carrington, "'according to country habits. "'You must ride back with us and dine at Raynham. "'You are very kind, Sir Oswald, "'but my dress will preclude. "'No consequence whatever. "'We are quite alone just now, "'and I am sure Lady Eversleigh "'will excuse a traveller's toilet.' If you are not bent upon finishing this very charming sketch i shall insist on your returning with us and you join me in the request eh honoria lady eversleigh smiled an assent and the surgeon murmured his thanks as yet he had looked little at the baronet's beautiful wife he had come to yorkshire with the intention of studying this woman as a man studies in abstruse and difficult science "'but he was too great a tactician "'to betray any unwanted interest in her. "'The policy of his life was patience, "'and in this, as in everything else, "'he waited his opportunity. "'She is very beautiful,' he thought, "'and she has made a good market out of her beauty. "'But it is only the beginning of the story yet. "'The middle and the end have still to come. "'After this meeting on Thorpe Peak, The surgeon became a constant visitor at Raynham. Sir Oswald was delighted with the young man's talents and accomplishments, and Victor contrived to win credit by the apparently accidental revelation of his early struggles, his mother's poverty, his patient studies, and indomitable perseverance. He told of these things without seeming to tell them. A word now, a chance allusion then, revealed the story of his friendless youth— Sir Oswald fancied that such a companion was eminently adapted to urge his nephew onward in the difficult road that leads to fortune and distinction. "'If Reginald had only half your industry, half your perseverance, I should not fear for his future career, Mr. Carrington,' said the baronet in the course of a confidential conversation with his visitor. "'That will come in good time, Sir Oswald,' answered Victor. "'Reginald is a noble fellow, and has a far nobler nature than I can pretend to possess. "'The very qualities which you are good enough to praise in me "'are qualities which you cannot expect to find in him. "'I was a pupil in the stern school of poverty from my earliest infancy, "'while Reginald was reared in the lap of luxury. "'Pardon me, Sir Oswald, if I speak plainly, but I must remind you, that there are few young men who would have passed honourably through the ordeal of such a change of fortune as that which has fallen on your nephew. What do you mean? I mean that with most men such a reverse would have been utter ruin of soul and body. An ordinary man, finding all the hopes of his future, all the expectations which had been a part of his very life, taken suddenly from him, would have abandoned himself to a career of vice— He would have become a blackleg, a swindler, a drunkard, a beggar at the doors of the kinsmen who had cast him off. But it was not so with Reginald Eversleigh. From the moment in which he found himself cast adrift by the benefactor who had been more than a father to him, he confronted evil fortune calmly and bravely. He cut the link between himself and extravagant companions. He disappeared from the circles in which he had been admired and courted, and the only grief which preyed upon his generous heart sprang from the knowledge that he had forfeited his uncle's affection. Sir Oswald sighed. For the first time he began to think that it was just possible he had treated his nephew with injustice. "'You are right, Mr. Carrington,' he said after a pause. "'It was a hard trial for any man.' and I am proud to think that Reginald passed unscathed through so severe an ordeal, but the resolution at which I arrived a year and a half ago is one that I cannot alter now. I have formed new ties, I have new hopes for the future. My nephew must pay for the penalty of his past errors, and must look to his own exertions for wealth and honour. If I die without a direct heir, he will succeed to the baronetcy, and I hope he will try his uttermost to win a fortune by which he may maintain his title. There was very little promise in this, but Victor Carrington was, nevertheless, tolerably well satisfied with the result of the conversation. He had sown the seeds of doubt and uncertainty in the baronet's breast. Time only could bring the harvest. The surgeon was accustomed to work underground, and knew that all such work must be slow and laborious. End of chapter 6, part 2.